John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Uh, At this time, our children are going to be dismissed, Um, so you guys can make your way uh, to the back. The child care workers will will meet them there. Um, Those of you who are not going to study with the children in the back, uh, you can open up your your copies of God's Word to Psalm 42 and 43. If you have a physical copy, that's going to be right near the middle. Um, If you have a digital one, it'll be wherever you search it. And if you uh, just want to follow along, it'll also be up here on the screen behind me. So my name's uh, Ben. I think Josh already gave me a pretty nice introduction. Um, uh, but those of you that, that don't know me super well, um, you should know, I am a huge fan of fantasy. Um, I love reading fantasy uh, and sci-fi, but especially fantasy. And one of my favorite uh, fantasy authors uh, is the father of fantasy himself, Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, now, Josh wouldn't let me preach through Lord of the Rings this morning. <laughs> for some reason. Um, so I have to stick to actual scripture. Um, but Tolkien likes scripture too, as, as well as I. Um, and and he, he loved it, and it was really inspirational in his works. Um, now, as he was writing his fantasy and his, and his fiction, he was often accused. He caught a lot of flack because men would walk up to him and they'd say, Tolkien, Tolkien, you're just giving people a way to escape from their reality. You're writing escapism. Like, this isn't helpful. You're, you're distracting people. Um, and Tolkien agreed with them in their, their, their preposition, right? Yes, he's writing escapism, but he disagreed with their conclusion. You see, he said we should rejoice at this desire for escapism. He wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories, and in, in it he writes about a man, imagining a man in prison. He says, why should a man be scorned if, finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home? Or if, when he cannot do so, He thinks and talks about topics other than jailers and prison walls, right? We would expect a man who is in prison, maybe he's been captured in war, and he should look through the bars of his windows, and he should see trees, and he should say, man, I want to go home. He shouldn't be longing for like, man, next Wednesday, it's Chicken Patty Wednesday. That's the reality. That's the best thing I'm going to get. Like, no, that would be absurd. He wants to escape. Of course he wants to escape. And we should too. We should long for freedom because we were made for something more than imprisonment. 
It would be crazy to look around and see the utter brokenness that we live in, to see a planet full of tragedy and drudgery and tears and screams and say, this is fine and I don't long for anything better. That's one of the things I love about fantasy is this longing for something better. And, and I love to retreat there, but I also love to dive into this psalm, which is why I picked it this morning. Because I find myself often rereading and singing this psalm when I'm longing for something more. So go ahead and follow along with me. It'll be Psalm 42 and 43. I'm just going to read through the whole thing. If you get nothing else from it, enjoy scripture this morning. As a deer plants pants for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Erman, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love really good things like this. I've found a habit in myself, and I'm pretty sure it's universal, but after I enjoy something good, I just have to take a moment. Like, wow, that's really, really good. I'm still thinking about a soup that I made a couple weeks ago because I'm really conceited and I think that I make the best soup, right? Um, but, but there's a moment that I wish I could bottle right after I, I drink that soup, right? I'm, I'm making it and I, I taste it to see if I got the seasonings just right, and of course I did. Um, <laughs> and as I sip it, I just sit there and take a breath like, oh, wow, that's good soup. And, and I do that with lots of things, too, right? If I watch a really good movie, I would spoil it if right after the credits start to roll, I just turn and I immediately start talking, right? I would spoil that. Or if I read a good book, if I close the book at the end and it just went up and got and ran off to do something else, it ruins it for me. 
In the same way, if I just kept gulping down soup, it ruins it. So I love to take a moment to pause and enjoy it. I feel the same thing with this psalm. Every time I read that refrain, and I heard some amens as I read that refrain, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hmm. I can't help but take just a moment to breathe in there. Because in my darkest moments, this has been my refrain. And in the midst of my everyday This has been my cry. And even at the crests of my faith, this has been my hope. So what is this passage saying, right? I've read it a few times now, but we should dig in because this isn't a passage from Titus, which Josh has been so faithfully leading us through. You don't have the context here. Um, So let's, let's dig in a little bit. First, a note on psalms themselves, right? Psalms are basically songs or poems. Um, so they're a little bit different, right? This isn't Paul writing a letter to a young man telling him how to be a pastor of a church. Uh, this is a song. It's supposed to, to reach within and to, to stir emotions, to raise something up inside of you. So if I preach through this and I don't stir something inside of your, inside of your heart, um, I'm probably doing a really bad job. So I, I pray this morning that, that this stirs something within you. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of truth in here. Um, so, so with that, let's, let's go ahead and start digging into this text as that will help reveal just a little bit more of the context here. Um, at the beginning, there's a, a subtitle that you might notice inside of your Bibles. It says something like, to the choir, ma- to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Masculine, is, it's just a musical or liturgical term. T- term. Uh, it's like a religious song, if you will. Um, so think of it as, as a psalm. But the sons of Korah is a little bit more interesting. These were guys who were uh, worship leaders in the tabernacle and temple in, in David's day. Um, so you can think about them as like the, the Kindle of, of David's Israel. Um, and, and not only that, David actually had some of these guys traveling around with him, doing everyday things like hanging flyers, I mean, fighting battles, um, <laughs> and uh, helped out a lot. Um, but essentially, these guys were traveling with, with David, and as, as we dig into this more, um, it becomes really, really clear that this, this psalm, it's, it's David. Um, this is one of his psalms as he wrote so, so many of them. And maybe he wrote it in partnership with some of these guys or for these guys to sing with him. Um, but it, it's really, really clear. Um, so understand, this is David. Um, he's in a really tough time, obviously. He's seen some hard things. So let's go ahead and dig into the first section and we'll find out a little bit more. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go down with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So here we find David, and, and David in this case is a man who is overwhelmed with longing amidst lack. We have to remember, at this time, God's people didn't have the Holy Spirit within them. 
right? They would go to worship at a place called the tabernacle, which was this, this tent and this place that God dwelled among his people, which was crazy at that time. But of course, we know that it's, it's just going to get better um, with the coming of Jesus. But they, they didn't have that. We didn't have the spirit of God come into us until after Jesus, actually, until Pentecost, when God's spirit descended on his disciples um, and tons of crazy things happened. And we carry that same gift. Um, but David didn't exactly have that same, that same promise. So when he was sent out and when he was uh, exiled, um, he, he, he didn't have the same hope, right? This, this psalm happened most likely at one of two times because David was in exile two significant times. The first, um, before he became king, but he was anointed to become king, there was a king named Saul. And Saul had an interesting relationship with David. At one point, right, he takes a spear and he tries to impale David because he thinks David's trying to take over his kingdom. And so he runs out and he flees and he raises up like his fighting men that we talked about earlier um, and he is in retreat. This could have been written then. The other time is um, David has a fascinating life. He, he becomes king after Saul dies and then he has a son named Absalom. And Absalom He's not very good, Um, but he decides that he should be king. He's really influential, really charismatic, and he raises up a rebellion against his father. Um, So now he has to flee from his own son into the wilderness. Um, And and, and in both of these, he's separated from his kingdom and from the tabernacle. So he's not able to come worship. And that's when this song is written, as as he is longing to come back. Um, so while David can certainly sing and pray, sure, he can't enjoy the full riches of leading people and sacrifices and worship. That's what he's singing about. When he says, when shall I come and appear before God? He's not just talking about an emotional one, but like a real physical reality. When can I go back to this tabernacle? At the, um, in the moment when he lacks the presence of God, he's completely overwhelmed with longing, right? This is such strong imagery. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. And we see he's so distraught. He's like fasting upon his sorrow, right? He's feasting on tears, not eating things. And and I think that we, all of us, to some varying degree or another, even the kids in the back, can empathize with that. We've all felt despair, haven't we? Take a moment to note here what David sets his longing on. He's kicked out of his home, removed from the wealth and comforts of society, from a kingdom that he's literally the king of. And what does he remember? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go down with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Not, if I could just have a little peace, a break from these guys trying to kill me, or remember when life was so free and easy, or remember when we had a good king, a good ruler? These are things that we could even say now. Like, remember when I could sleep through a whole night? I'm sure that's what Josh and Brittany are saying. Remember when I didn't have to take care of two infants at night, and I could just sleep? Right? These, this temptation we find in ourselves to, to look back and remember, oh, those good old days um, this is not the only place in Scripture, but this is, is one of many where we, we are rebuked for that. This is a beckoning, rather, to worship our Creator, to hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And then, of course, David comes back to this refrain several times. Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he does this refrain over and over again because it is perhaps the most honest and the truest stanza throughout this whole psalm. So he repeats it three times. Everything else, these verses, are essentially context. But this David takes and he addresses himself, speaking candidly to his own emotions. Uh, in literature, um, we often refer to this kind of aside as, as an apostrophe, where he, he takes a moment and he speaks to someone who's, who's not really there. We would recognize this in phrases like, oh, death, where is your sting, right? Death isn't a person who's sitting there listening to me that I'm like asking him a question. I'm taking a moment, right, to refer to something else. And in this, he, he personifies a part of himself in an interesting way, in the same way that I might talk to myself. And, and this isn't limited to this psalm, right, where he talks to, uh, oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Um, we see similar separations throughout all of Scripture, um, one of my favorites is in Romans 7, where, where Paul, uh, Paul uh, addresses this split within himself. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I think Paul does a really good job of expounding the same thing that David is feeling here. He's waging a war with sin with his members, with his flesh, but David's struggle is not very different from that, Right? Paul's obviously not struggling with his physical body, trying to stop himself, his actual physical members, from doing things. But he's speaking to his, his emotions and his desires that are so very different from the thing that he really longs for. And who doesn't face that struggle every day? So we understand this idea of, of speaking, surely, to our emotions. But let's not stray too far away from what David is saying, because we're in a little bit of a different circumstance, right? David's longing to go to the house of God. But of course, we know um, that, that for nearly 2,000 years, we've had the Spirit, we Christians have had the Spirit of God within us. So if we can't be separated from the Spirit, what, how does this apply to us? Does this mean anything to you and me? We don't have the same struggle, right? But in a way, I think we can cross that bridge and we can still grow and learn and yearn with David. To start with, if you aren't a believer, this is a direct call because you don't have that spirit within you. You are separated from the presence of God. And the temple that, that David was longing for, that's destroyed and gone. There is no way other than Christ. The only way to enter the presence of God now is through his son, Jesus. But even the believer, you too, can long for unity with God because you should not be satisfied right now. You should not be fully satisfied because we are still in a fallen world. We're still struggling with our fallen flesh, with our fallen bodies. Paul talks about this, specifically longing amidst suffering, like David's facing here. Shortly after this passage we just looked at, he continues in Romans 8, 18 and on. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Skipping a verse. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The creation waits with eager longing, yes, but far more do we, because we are children of God, and something greater is coming. For this hope we consider suffering not even worth comparing. It doesn't hold a candle. This is what David would have longed to see. This is a far greater promise. So I implore you, both believer and skeptic, long for Christ. Long for our Savior both in the struggles of the here and now and in the fulfillment of that, of, what, of that which right now is just a dim reflection, both with, with bright-eyed eagerness, like a kid on Christmas Eve waiting so eagerly for the next morning, but also with the melancholy of a prisoner who is abiding, abiding his time, waiting for the freedom and the chance to return home. We can empathize with both of these. But we have to keep moving because I've only got so much time. And, and Paul, or and David, doesn't leave this psalm with just a single verse. You know, as well as I, that, uh, that reality is never as simple as just addressing your soul, right? I can't just say, well, I sat my soul down, gave him a stern to talk into, and everything's a-okay. No, of course not. There's still so much to be said. So let's continue. Verse 6 here. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Erman, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? David is nothing, if not sincere here. The thing that sticks out to me most from this verse are these questions, right? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. This is a charge that you would not want to make to someone who is in authority. That's a really bold claim, right? Why have you forgotten me? Why did you give up on me? This is like what Job would claim, right? You have forgotten me. So what's going on here? Has God really forgotten David? Did he just space out and wander off and like, oh no, David, I totally forgot. You've been kicked out of your kingdom. <laughs> Whoops, forgot about that. Of course not. It's like, oh no, Saul accidentally almost skewered you. Almost let that one happen. No, we know that's not the case here. So I encourage you, look at the preface of these questions before. It says, therefore, I remember you. And the Lord commands his steadfast love. David's talking of something he's not exactly feeling here, but wants to feel. You see that David is remembering amidst the suffering. This section seems to be David's lowest point in, the, in these two Psalms. And, and I, I point you to the preface, this hope and this anchor, because David's direction is clearly downwards. He, he ends this by passing on the taunts of his enemies. Where is your God? 
but surely this is only meaningful because it strikes a chord within, within himself. This taunt strikes a chord that he is echoing. And that's an interesting phrase. I love the phrase strike a chord because it calls to a really interesting physical phenomenon uh, of frequency. Even as we heard Kendall earlier, you know, he's strumming his guitar, and we hear the chords coming from this vibrating string. Um, now, resonant frequency is the, the idea that things like to vibrate at a certain, uh, a certain rate, and that's how we hear noises, um, but it carries on. When I was in high school, I used to love to take my trumpet, because I played trumpet in high school, and I discovered at, even in middle school, I think, that I could go up to the drums, and if I played the right note right next to the drum, it would start to vibrate, and I would hear the snare on the inside of the drum start to rattle, because I was hitting the same note that that drum just wanted to vibrate at. This is the same thing as we continue. We, we have this often looked at picture of this opera singer with breaking a wine glass with her voice, right? And she sings into it and it vibrates and then it shatters in front of her. And why does that work? It's not because she's like exerting so much air out that the force of it's breaking. No, it's because she's singing at the perfect pitch this wine glass wants to vibrate at and it starts to wiggle and vibrate. And of course, when glass begins to bend, it just breaks really, really quickly. But this doesn't apply even to just instruments and to noise, uh, but to like large physical option, uh, objects. What you see up here behind me uh, is called a mass damper. Um, a damper is a thing that stops vibration. So in tall buildings like skyscrapers, like this one is uh, the Taipei 101, huge tall skyscraper in Taiwan. Um, and it wants to vibrate, right? The, there's lots of earthquakes and lots of wind. And if you get the wrong wind or the wrong earthquake, as is, the, it would hit this perfect tune that it would just shake back and forth and back and forth until eventually the tower falls over. But these dampers apply an effect where they hang heavy and they steady and keep it from vibrating excessively. In the same way that if, if Kendall holds his fingers on the guitar or even you let your foot up off the, the pedal on that piano, um, it will deaden this sound. Um, in the same way, um, we have things that we want to vibrate to. Right? Bring this back to us. Things like, where is your God? Struck a chord within David. And there are things like that that resonate within us. And we begin to vibrate and make those same notes because it's our natural fallen bent to do so. And we find ourselves lost in tumult and in suffering and in harsh seas. We need an anchor that contradicts these waves that we want to resonate with. You need something to damper it. You need to remember God's faithfulness. Because those are the only things that are heavy enough and steady enough to dampen our shaking and tremoring. And this has to be a really solid rock. We have to have distinct remembrances in order to even get to the point where we stop and ask ourselves, why are you cast down, O my soul? And with this hope, we can silence these voices that we're so quick to resonate with. I am not my own deliverer. My pride isn't my hope. It's my undoing. I need to remember that. Or on the other side, my failure can't undo what Christ has done. I'm not that powerful. Christ has truly saved me, and there's nothing I can do to undo that. In my darkest moments, I need to remember that. Remember not only that God isn't faithful in just general ways, but also in specific ways. And this applies all over your life. Because Jesus came to complete the law, not by providing just a command, but also the solution. So we must cling to him. And so, having addressed his soul, 
and us having done so as well. We turn back, and having found this anchor, David turns uh, in Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the victory. This is the triumphant portion. These things are building to a call, to a call of hope that is coming amidst injustice. This isn't an unusual call for God's people. We see it even as far back as in things like Egypt, where they cried out to God, deliver me. Let me go to a mountain where I can worship you. Right? Here, um, let them bring me to your holy hill, quite literally, that same reference, and to your dwelling. This could be translated as tabernacle, literally the tent where David can go and worship, uh, worship God. Um, even in these, he goes to the altar to praise God. Using the old system of sacrifices, this is as close as he could come to God. But take a moment to look at the beginning of the second stanza. Send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. The Jewish scholars uh, began to recognize that this is pointing to something that is to come. Remember, if you will, back to our reading that Kim led us through in John 1 talking about the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Your light and truth. This is talking about Jesus and the man who would bear testament about him, John. Look again at this verse. Send out your light and truth. This is Jesus. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And Jesus, look, makes us a temple, right? He calls us a temple, a tabernacle. And I will go to the altar of God, how much more freely can we come? Because we have a better sacrifice that is already paid. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God. How much truer is this? How much more can we praise him, having seen this grand deliverance that is Christ? We have been saved not only from current affliction, but from sin and death itself. And not for a temporary time in a temple or, or in a tent, but for an eternity in his presence. But this leaves us with a question, and one that's going to grow more and more as we approach the Advent. This is mostly a reference towards the coming of Jesus. What does that mean for us? Jesus already came. Is this just a novelty that we look back and say, oh, wow, that's cool. David knew that Jesus was going to come. And then we move on with our lives. Like, wow, that was neat. No, it's, it's more than that. If we, left it, if we left the gospel at Jesus coming, we would be cutting our gospel short. Take a moment for me, indulge me. Imagine if I was to, it would be a miracle, of course, in today's age, but be able to buy and build a house here in Columbus. <laughs> right? Now, I, I would be really excited if I was trying to do that and I finally got a contract with the guy that said he's going to come and build my house. That would be sweet. But I wouldn't be done celebrating as soon as I got that contract, right? As soon as this guy says, like, hey, man, I've got to wait about 18 months for the supply chain to work out, and then I'll be able to start building your house. I wouldn't be like, woo, we're done! I would be excited, but I would be eager for the day that I move in. That's when things are truly done, and I can really rejoice. We have a glimpse, a promise 
of what is coming. But we aren't going to be able to truly fully rejoice until we move into the house. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 on the screen behind me. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now this is what we long for, right? We are sealed in promise because something greater is coming. Seals and promises and contracts, these are never as good as the real thing. This is the hope that we're longing for. The good news about which we gather each week does not end with Jesus' resurrection or even his ascension. The gospel that we gather around each week is completed when Jesus comes back. That's what we want. That's what we hope for. This is the hope that we are longing for. We are separated from a holy God by our sin. We could not say before, I will praise him because we were his enemies. We were active rebels without Christ. We were active rebels denying him and proclaiming our own kingdom and singing our own songs of pride and lust and evil. But Jesus became a man, lived perfectly among us, died our death, paying our penalty, but death couldn't hold him, of course. He's not only going to make a way for us, but he's going to come back He came back to life and he ascended and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He is coming back. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where people from every tribe and tongue and nation will worship him and tears will be wiped away and we will cry no more and we will be in his presence eternally. And so with this, with this, this thing in front of us, with this sight towards the future, our final application is just the last line of this repeated refrain, hope in God for I shall again praise him. This isn't a vague application because I place my hope, my natural bent, the thing I resonate to, is to place my hope in a million things before I place them in God. Right? David could have hoped in so many things. He could have hoped for his allies and his armies to come and put him back on the throne. And in a way, they they kind of did, but that wasn't David's hope, nor his true deliverance. I cannot hope even in good things. Like, I cannot hope in hard work to put food on my family's table. Even if I strive for that, that can't be my hope. And I can't hope in a Saturday where I can sleep in instead of going and hanging flyers to satisfy me and to give me rest or to watch a new show or play a video game or read a book by myself because, man, if I just have a full weekend to myself without anybody bothering me, then I'm going to be rested and satisfied. Of course, like, you agree, like, yeah, Ben, putting your hope in a new video game is a really dumb hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I will confess that boldly. But what do you hope in? Is it retirement? Or is it your kids being successful and loving you and spending time with you and not being angry at you? Is it finally being respected by your spouse in the way that you deserve These might be wonderful things, but they are really vain hopes. And they will not deliver you. Rather, our hope must be in the soon returning king. Then we can sing again and we can echo this last stanza of David. And I can say, you have sent your son and spirit and they lead me. Let them bring me to your holy kingdom and to your new creation. I will go 
redeemed before God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will indeed praise him forevermore. O God, my God. This is my prayer for us, for Redemption Hill and for the American church, for the church abroad, that we would sing of this hope and that we would sing it to one another, that in spite of our circumstances or our feelings or the turmoil of everyday life, that we would not only long for, but also have hope in Jesus' coming kingdom. Pray with me. Father, you are a good deliverer and a sure hope. And I thank you that again and again and again, you have promised deliverance and over-delivered and told us that you're going to over-deliver even further. And we were not just set free from Egypt, but we were set free from sin and death and one day forevermore in a new kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would long for that, that we would sing that song to one another and that we would tell stories, that we would long to escape to that fantasy, right? To that world that we know ought to be true, that we long for something greater, that we would sing, it's going to be true in Jesus. He's going to come back and he's going to set it right. Lord, let that be our song to one another in struggle and in pain and in depression and anxiety. To the praise of your glory, 